We have a Christmas series that we're starting today. Ready or not, here Christmas comes. Maybe you walked in, I'm not sure, maybe you started listening to Christmas music at the beginning of November. Maybe you started right after Thanksgiving. Maybe, you're, maybe it got to December 1st and you're like, oh my goodness, it's already December. I'm not sure where you're at this holiday season. Uh, but wherever you are, I would love for you to open your Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 15 through 20. Uh, that's page 983. If you don't have a Bible with you and you want to use the one that's in the pew right in the rack right in front of you, if you turn to page 983, that's where you will find Colossians 1. And, and while you're doing that, if, if you're a guest with us or maybe you're checking us out online for the first time, uh, we always want to start our messages by letting you know that we believe that this Bible we are opening is the inerrant inspired Word of God Himself. We, we believe that God has revealed himself to us through his word so we can know him and love him and worship him. And, and, and we believe so much in the sufficiency of scripture that we don't think that what I'm going to say today matters at all unless it agrees with what God has said in his word. We want to collectively be a church that believes it doesn't matter what I think. What matters is what the Bible says. And we don't come to God's word to boost our own egos because the Bible doesn't elevate us, it elevates God. And so that's what we want to do in our time together today through singing, prayer, coming to the communion table, and especially the preaching of God's word. We want to elevate God today. He must increase, we must decrease. And, and we're going to spend the month of December in a Christmas series that we are calling, What Child Is This? Because one of the most important questions in life that you can answer is, who is Jesus? Who is Jesus? If you view yourself as a spiritually curious person, right, maybe, maybe you would label yourself a seeker. You, you, you want to know, you believe that there's a God, but you haven't really settled anywhere yet. You feel like you're still trying to figure things out. Uh, if that's where you are today, there are all sorts of questions that you might be asking, and there's all sorts of sources that you can find who claim to have some type of answers, but there are none more important than finding the right answer to the question of who Jesus is. Uh, I don't believe you will ever be settled until you find him. And, and if you're a follower of Jesus and you are wanting to be a witness to your family and friends this Christmas season, the most important you, conversation you can have is a conversation about Jesus. And, and, and we get distracted by all sorts of other things, don't we? Like there's so many other things to talk about. There's so many other things that distract us. And, and so we're going to spend this month focusing on who Jesus is using Colossians 1, 15 through 20 as the starting point each week. Uh, and, and as we begin this Christmas series, if I'm being forthright, I, I just want you to know, I don't think this is my favorite time of year. And I almost feel like I'm breaking some type of pastoral, pastoral code by saying that. Right? Are pastors all supposed to love Christmas time? I think that, that, that's the, like, the expectation. I'm so excited for this Christmas season. Uh, I don't think you'll catch me saying that very often. Um, uh, because it's really busy, <laughs> and there's a lot going on, right? And some people love Christmas, and some of us are like, um, okay, but when it's over, I'm going to be a little happier than I am right now, right? And there's a lot of extra planning, uh, not just for Christmas, but also for what's coming up in the new year. Uh, and so if you usually find yourself around December 20th just trying to get through it, 
right, just trying to make it through to, to the new year. You aren't alone. Trust me, I, I hear you. Um, but I also want you to remember this. We celebrate Christmas because Jesus is worth celebrating. We celebrate Christmas because Jesus is worth celebrating. Jesus is worth it. And this is why we want you and everyone to know who Jesus is. Because when you truly know him, you will want to worship him because you recognize that he is worth it. He's so much more than just a baby in a manger. He is so much more than the centerpiece of a nativity scene. And so we're going to read Colossians 1, 15 through 20. And as a quick reminder, as I mentioned when we covered this in Colossians 1, if you make a list of the three greatest paragraphs in the Bible without including Colossians 1, 15 through 20, then I would just humbly suggest that your list is wrong. Right? I don't want to be too judgmental about that, but I would just humbly suggest that you need to change your list and include this one. This is probably the most Christ-exalting passages in all of the Bible. Here it is, Colossians 1, 15 through 20. He, that's Jesus, is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him, all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross." So there's all these descriptions for Jesus just packed into this one paragraph. And we're going to spend five messages between now and Christmas Day, including Christmas Eve, focusing on one description at a time. And and today we're going to focus on the very first description that we see in verse 15, that Jesus is the image of the invisible God. The baby born in Bethlehem is God made visible. And, and we're going to go to more passages this morning, just as a warning, than I, than I typically do, and I'm sorry about that. And so you might find it hard to flip through your Bible and keep up with all of it, so I'll have all of them on the screen as well. You don't have to feel the pressure to turn to each one. Um, and, and before we see what this title, that Jesus is the image of the invisible God, teaches us about Jesus, oh, I, I don't think we should miss what this is teaching us about God in general, which is if if Jesus is the image of the invisible God, that means that God is invisible. God is invisible. You can't physically see him with your eyes. And and hopefully that isn't news to you. Uh, This reality is affirmed throughout scripture. Uh, We sing about it. (laughs) We, We find it in the doxology that Phil read in 1 Timothy 1.17, to the king of the ages, immortal, invisible, the only God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. When, when Jesus was talking to the woman at the well in John 4, he said this in John 4.24, God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. 
Uh, We've covered this passage before, but just to give you a little context for why Jesus says that God is spirit and those who worship him must worship in spirit and in truth. Jesus was answering a question that the Samaritan woman had asked about worshiping God. And she was trying to create an argument, to be honest, because Samaritans and Jewish people, they argued about where the right place to worship was. Uh, Obviously, Jewish people went to Jerusalem, to the temple to worship God, and the Samaritans went to Mount Gerizim. And and so she thinks that she's going to create an argument to sort of distract Jesus from the other topic that they were talking about, which was her past life. And 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 so the thinking, though, in asking this question was that God's presence was limited to a physical location, like our presence is limited to this physical location right now. You are not both here and at home. You are just here. Our presence is limited to a physical location. And and while it is true that God chose to manifest his presence on earth in the temple in Jerusalem among his people Israel, it would be incorrect to assume that God was limited to just one physical earthly location because he is not limited by what is physical at all. He is spirit. You can't see him. So this is the reality that's Scripture presents to us. We have an invisible God who wants to reveal himself. We have an invisible God who wants to reveal himself. He wants to be seen. He wants to be known. So he chose to reveal himself through creation. That's why God created the world to reveal who he is. So his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, could be clearly perceived as Romans 1 tells us. And he revealed himself most clearly and most climactically through his final creation. This is what we learn in Genesis 1, 26 through 27. You probably know this passage. It's on the screen. Let me read it for you. Genesis 1, 26. Then God said, this is on the sixth day of creation, let us make man in our image after our likeness. And let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heaven and over the livestock and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. I love in this passage that God says, let us make man in our image revealing the Trinitarian nature of his deity. One God, three persons, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Let us make man in our image, and we are made in the image of the invisible God. Right? That's pretty, that's pretty, we are made in the image of an invisible God. That's what the Bible tells us, and this is an intrinsic part of our identity right from the beginning of creation. Right? Intrinsic. This is who we are. We are made in the image of God, which leads to an important question. What's an image? <laughs> if that's who I am, I probably should know what that is. What is an image? Uh, and when we think about an image, I think the reason why we need to think about this is because we prim- primarily think of an image via pixels these days, don't we? 
maybe paint, but mostly pixels, because we are bombarded with all sorts of images via our phones and our televisions and our billboards and our magazines. And, and what used to be in grainy black and white is now available in 4K because high definition is not enough. It needs to be even clearer. It has to be even sharper, right? The images that we can take and edit all on our phones would have been unthinkable a decade or two ago. And some of you are like, I don't mess with any of that stuff, right? That's just, right? You just don't want anything to do with any of it, right? It's amazing the images that we can create and that we can take and that we can see. But in the world in which Moses wrote the book of Genesis, pixels were not part of that equation, right? And even paint probably was not what would have been on their minds, Because images were typically what we would think of as statues or monuments. And and I appreciate what David Mathis says. He says this, Pagan religions employed such carved images as physical, visual representations of otherwise invisible lowercase g gods. Into such a context, then, the voice of the one true God rings out. At the climax of Scripture's first chapter, let us make man in our image, after our likeness. So while fallen men make images of their gods, the true God made man in his own image, to image himself in the world. We humans are living, breathing, speaking, singing, moving images representing the invisible God to his world so that others would remember and reverence him, close quote. Images are intended to honor what they are imaging. When you think about what does it mean that I am made in the image of God, this is what it means. It means that you are intended to honor the one that you are imaging. So if, if, if a baseball player makes it to the Major League Baseball Hall of Fame, right, they, there's a sculpture of that player that is made, of, of that player's head and shoulders that is made. And, and while there might be some type of artistic beauty in that bust itself, the purpose of that sculpture is to honor the one it is imaging, to honor the one that it is representing. And I don't know if people always think about this in these terms, but we were made to image God in that same way. We were made, right from Genesis 1, we're told we have a purpose every day to honor and glorify the one we were made to represent and reflect. And that is what makes Genesis 3 so tragic. Because instead of imaging the invisible God well, we distort God's image. If you think about Adam and Eve's sin in the garden, Instead of trusting God and reflecting what he would do, Adam and Eve acted as if they could improve upon the image that God had made. Because what was Satan's temptation? Satan's temptation is if you eat this fruit, you will be more like God. Right? You will be more like him. You will know good from evil. In other words, you will be a better image. You will be a better image. And in doing what they were told would improve the image, they distorted the image. Like a kid who brings paintbrushes to the Sistine Chapel because there's a section that's missing just a little something, right? Think, can you imagine, like an eight-year-old? Like, you know what? I think this needs a little touch-up. All the adults, no! 
right? You're going to ruin it by adding to it. And that's exactly what happened. God made us in his image to perfectly reflect who he is. And we add to it, and we distort it, and we mess it up. No, right? Because from that day on, from Genesis 3 on, instead of living to honor and glorify the one we were made in the image of, our natural bent is to live for our own glorification, to live as if our purpose is for ourselves. That's what sin causes us to do. We think we know better than God, or we think that we can replace him with something else and be okay. But in making us in his image, what God is saying from Genesis 1, right from the beginning, is that God himself is the standard by which everything else is measured. Just like a, a right angle is always 90 degrees, right? And, and you can be an acute angle or you can be an obtuse angle, but you can't be a better right angle. Because... It's 90 degrees, right? That's the standard. That's the right angle. And God is the standard. We are made in his image. And you can't be better than the standard because if you are different than the standard, you are worse, not better. And this is another reason why our sin is so offensive to a holy God. Because we were created not to reveal ourselves, but to reveal an invisible God. God didn't want to be represented by images carved out of wood. And he didn't want to be represented by, by images that were, that were made by, by, by melting, forming, and hardened metal. No, he intended to be revealed and represented by millions and millions of living, breathing, loving, working, multiplying image bearers. And even though we don't talk in this language very often, I would observe that if you just listen to people, people seem to have an intrinsic recognition that creation is intended to reveal something about the creator. Because, here's my observation, people draw, naturally draw conclusions about, create, about the creator based on how creation acts. People naturally draw conclusions about the creator based on how creation acts. Acts. So, so when a heinous crime is committed, or when children are harmed, what's the question that's always on people's minds? How could a loving God let this happen? Right? How, how could a good God let this happen? People naturally recognize that people should be teaching us about God, and the problem is most of them are doing a really bad job right, at fulfilling their purpose. His image is distorted. And, and it can be disorienting enough when the world is, as a whole is failing to image God well, but the damage is so much more significant when it is people who claim to be followers of Jesus who are failing to image him well. Just in this last week, uh, I, I've had two separate conversations with people whose view of God and desire to follow God was being distorted by what they saw as the hypocritical lives of those who claimed to be Christians. I mean, so many people refuse to come to church, and you've probably heard this too. Why don't people want to come to church? Because the church is full of, wow, we're so quick on that. Right? We just, it's almost like we've heard that before. The church is full of hypocrites. Now, sometimes when I hear that, can I be honest? Sometimes I want to respond, then you should fit right in. Right? Um, you'll feel right at home. 
right? Because, because all of us struggle to consistently live out what we say we believe. Uh, but my usual response is not that. Uh, my usual response is, I hear you. I get why it's so frustrating. And, and I was sharing the gospel with a woman just this week who was very distracted by people who would do religious rituals and then turn around and be gossiping about other people, right? Or they, or they would do all the prayers and then they would treat their family terribly. And she was trying to figure out, wait a minute, is, is that person, just because they're doing all the religious stuff, are they going to heaven, right? Is that, is that what a Christian actually looks like? And she's also trying to figure out how, who God is and, and how he applies his justice regarding people's eternal destinies. And it gets pretty confusing when your focus is on other people, And I empathize with the frustration because she should be able to look at people, especially Christians, and learn about who God is. Because we are image bearers. That's what we were created to do. We were made to image him, to reveal him, to honor him, to glorify him. And and I hope that you take this as a challenge and an encouragement to pray for the Holy Spirit of God to enable you to image God well. This is the transformation that should be happening in our lives. This is why sanctification is so important, right? Because we want people to see more of Jesus' character and glory in and through us. I don't want my kids to struggle to see God because I distorted his image so badly. We we want our community to have clearer images of who God is because of how we live, work, study, shop, and play. But when someone observes the world as a whole, they are seeing a lot of distorted, confusing images of an invisible God. And this is why Christmas changes everything. And why Christmas is worth celebrating. Because we have a God who is invisible. You can't see him. God is spirit, not physical. And the billions of his visible, physical image bearers are often pretty poor representations. God's image is incredibly distorted. You look at creation, right, and, and you see the stars in the sky... So many people I've talked to, this is what they do. They look at creation, and they see the stars in the sky, and, and, and they see the oceans, how they roar, and how they fall up against the sand, and they, and they look out at, at a beautiful sunset, and they look at the mountains, and they conclude there must be a God, right? There must be a creator. And then they look at the pinnacle of creation, people, and think, I'm not sure if I like him. Right? There must be a God, but I'm not sure if I like him because of the people that he has made. And, and, and that's what's happened to so many people. Their view of God is so distorted because his image bearers fail to image him well. Enter Jesus. A baby born over 2,000 years ago in a little town called Bethlehem. And we are still fixated on him because Jesus illuminates God's image that we had so terribly distorted. Jesus is the answer to every question that has ever been raised about who God is. Jesus is not in the image of God. Colossians 1.15 says Jesus is the image 
of the invisible God. We were created to be shadows. Jesus is the reality. If you want to know what God looks like, you look at Jesus. If you want to know about his character, you look at the character of Jesus. Jesus was the substantial visual of what was formerly invisible. Jesus made the nature and being of God perfectly known. He doesn't just represent God, he manifests God. We all fall woefully short of God's standard, but Jesus fulfilled the standard because he is the standard. He is God in human form. I love how the author of Hebrews opened his letter. Look at Hebrews 1, 1 through 3. Long ago, and many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom also he created the world. He, that's Jesus, is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. And he upholds the universe by the word of his power. And after making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. Jesus is the exact imprint of God's nature, the exact representation of his being. I appreciate that this passage also reminds us, as Colossians also claims, that it was through Jesus that the world was made. So I would suggest that, com- that scripture is communicating that the invisible God created humans to, in the image of himself, knowing that we would really mess that image up and leaving us to wonder if we would ever know what God looks like. Right? Moses, in Exodus 33 and 34, longed to know what God looked like. Show me your glory, was Moses' plea. And God told him, mm, I can only let you see the back of my glory. Right? Just the back. Right? you got to hide in this rock, and I'm just going like, to pass by, and you can sort of just see the back of my glory, because man cannot see my face and live. And, and so this is what sets the stage for the incarnation. We have this intrinsic desire to see God, if for no other reason, because we want to see the one we were made to look like. We want to know what the one we were made to look like looks like. That, that makes sense. Right? But, but we can't. And our images of him in and of ourselves are so distorted by sin and our desire for self-glorification. We know that we can't be what God looks like. That's like he has to look different than this. That doesn't make sense. And then Christmas happens. And at Christmas, God says, here is the image. Here is the one you were made in the image of. And as the exact imprint of God's nature, Jesus brought clarity to what we as humanity had distorted through our sin. So we broke God's law, Jesus fulfilled it. We exalt created things, Jesus exalted the Father. We bring harm, Jesus brought healing. We seek our own will, Jesus sought the will of the Father. If you've been looking at the world and just finding yourself confused about who God is and what he's like and how can it be good and how can it be loving, can I encourage you this Christmas season, look at Jesus. 
Fix your eyes on him. This is why we gather together every Sunday because the world is so disorienting, right? And we're like, what in the world is going on? And then we come together and we look at Jesus and things start to make more sense. And I don't want you to wait a week for you to see him again. No, I want you to get into God's word every day yourself with the prayer, God, help me see you. Jesus, help me see you. Find an Advent plan. Find an Advent book and and, and fix your eyes on Jesus because the invisible God has made himself visible. I think John the Apostle was busting with joy at the seams when he wrote John 1, 14 through 18. And the word, that's Jesus, God himself became flesh and dwelt among us and we have seen his glory. Glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. John bore witness about him and cried out that he, this was he of whom I said, he who comes after me ranks before me because he was before me. For from his fullness we have all received grace upon grace. For the law was given through Moses, grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. And then here it is. No one has ever seen God. The only God who is at the Father's side, he has made him known. John is celebrating. We have seen what Moses couldn't see. We have seen the face of God. We have seen the glory of his grace and truth. All the fullness of who God is dwells in Jesus. The God that no one has ever seen, Jesus has made him known. This is why we celebrate Christmas. Or I should say why we celebrate Jesus at Christmas. Because we do not have a God who is distant or hiding. He has not allowed man to distort his image without providing clarification. His image has been illuminated through the incarnation of Jesus. And so I don't know what you have planned this month. If your calendar looks like ours, it gets busy in a hurry. We have a school concert this week, and then we are just off and running. But I trust that you plan to look at Jesus this month. I, plan, I hope you plan to help your kids look at Jesus this Christmas season. And I mean really look at him. There's all sorts of distracting images that claim to represent Christmas. But Jesus is the image you need to see. You need to see his grace and see his truth. Let him provide clarity in the middle of our world's distortion. Let him illuminate what our world has darkened because Christmas is an opportunity to see the glory of God in the person of Jesus. From his fullness, we receive not the judgment that comes from the law. No, we receive grace upon grace because the law would judge us based on whether we met the standard. You can't be better than the standard. You can only be worse from it. The law would just judge us whether we've met the standard And the standard is God. And we have all fallen woefully short of being like him. And when people look at his image bearers, they might conclude that the problem is God, but the problem is us. The image 
is holiness and love and grace and justice and goodness and truth, but we on our own fail to accurately reflect and glorify that reality, but instead of leaving us distorted and confused, the image of the invisible God came to make himself visible. The standard came to us in the person of Jesus. And the angels declared glory to God in the highest because what we had failed to do, Jesus intrinsically possessed. He is the radiance of the glory of God. And then Jesus would go on to live the perfect life that we failed to live, saying this is what God's righteousness looks like. And then Jesus died the death that we deserve to die, saying this is what God's love and grace and justice looks like. Look at him. Look at him. Jesus paid the just penalty for our failure to glorify God in his God-glorifying death on the cross. He rose from the dead saying, this is what victory looks like. And so no matter what you've done, if you Look at Jesus today and you see the image of the invisible God. If you see the glory of his perfections and place your faith in his perfect life, sacrificial death, and victorious resurrection, instead of trusting your good works and all the things that you have done, from his fullness you will receive grace upon grace. All of your sins are forgiven. The righteousness of Jesus is credited as your righteousness. You become part of the eternal family of God. God is invisible. We have distorted the image we were intended to reflect, but the image has come. The radiance of God's glory has been revealed, and it's in the person of Jesus Christ. And we want to fix our eyes on him this month, don't we, church? Amen. Amen. Heavenly Father, thank you that you have not left us with all these distorted images of who you are. You've not left us on our own to just try to figure all these things out. But the invisible God has been made visible. The image has come. And it's Jesus. And so we don't want to look anywhere else. We don't want to be distracted by all the things that are coming on our schedule and forget that this is all about you. This is all about seeing you. This is all about celebrating you. And not just seeing and celebrating you lying in a manger, but seeing you elevated on the cross, the Lamb of God paying the price for our sins in our place. So thank you that we get to worship you this Christmas. Thank you that we get to celebrate what you've done. Thank you that we get to see your glory. And thank you now that we get to come to this communion table and remember how your body was broken and how your blood poured out as the Lamb of God in our place so our sins could be erased. I pray that you would continue to get all the honor and all the glory because you are worth it and you deserve it. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.